Welcome to the bridge with myself, Mike Bianchi, and Mike Tuck filling in for Mark Daniels on the beat of sports and on the bridge. What's our musical theme, KV? So with Valentine's Day right around the corner, we're going to do some incredible, beautiful, historic love songs, Mike. This is the I do. Sing it, ladies and gentlemen. I should know this. You should probably, yeah. She was popular in the 90s. I think she works in Vegas now. I think. Not my genre. Canadian. Canadian. Need more. Uh, Probably a more famous song was the one for Titanic. Oh, um, uh, 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 Celine Dion. Very good. Yes, Mikey. Good job, Mikey. Good job, Tuck. By the way, Mike, I would have gone her her last name is the first name of Coach Prime. (laughs) That would work, too. I, I was thinking of that. Would you have known, like, a Dion Warwick type thing, Mike? Would you have gotten that? Do you know who that is? I know who Dion Warwick is. Okay, Absolutely. Okay, okay cool. Because those are the other two in my mind. Okay, anyway. Just check it. All right, Mike Tuck. Before we get into the actual game itself, let's get into all the superlatives or these these, these superficial stuff around the game. <laughs> I'm not a big Usher guy. Um, in fact, I've never seen Usher in my life perform either on YouTube videos or anything until last night. And I was impressed. I'm, you know, Again, I could not name you one Usher song. But I thought the guy was talented. We've gotten some texts today that said it wasn't a very good halftime show. We've gotten other ones that said it was awesome. <laughs> um, are you an Usher guy? And what, what were your thoughts on the halftime show? I am. Usher's a little older than me. So I think they were saying 30 years in the making because that's when he started off. He was really young teenager, I believe, when he started off performing and singing. Um, super talented. I told KV, like, as big of a fan as I am of him, uh, I thought maybe it would be challenging because he's more of a slow jams kind of artist, and that's the way it started out, so I wasn't real enthralled with that for the Super Bowl halftime. But when it picked up steam, Alicia Keys came out, then you got Little John and, and Luda coming out. That's That was uh, more hitting home with me. So I, I thought it went from average to, to very good. That's my personal okay. opinion. But you know right. what? Everyone, you know, has a strong opinion on the halftime. Either it's the greatest halftime performance ever or it's the worst one ever. Every year it feels like we do this for the last decade or two, that it's either the best ever or the worst ever. And to me, it's it's lot somewhere in the middle. You know what I don't like, though? You know, a lot of times, like you'll read, like the people whose job it is to critique these, like the the music critics or the... They always give glowing like nobody ever rips the half like the the official nobody ever rips the halftime shows anymore like uh, you know, the no critics? matter who it is oh yeah yeah I, but who would you rip like in fairness like I get that not every genre fits with what people want to listen to or they normally listen to but usually the people they're selected to do the halftimes are very well acclaimed and successful so it's yeah. not like you should be expecting a a bad show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would just like I I I guess I just wouldn't like all glowing. 
I don't want all glowing. I want somebody to point out, hey, like like experts to say, hey, sure. this was not good. This that's all I'm. Looking. So you like the movie critics that 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 bash the movie and run it through the coals and and all that then. Mm, no, no, but ones that will at least point don't don't make every every halftime show the best ever. Gotcha. That's, okay, that's, that's all. I'm, that's all I'm looking for. Um, also, a commercial. I, I've, I've stated my favorite commercial was. I guess it was a controversial commercial. The the Jesus uh, doesn't teach hate, or Jesus didn't teach hate. He washed feet commercial. I thought that was. I like commercials with a message. I thought that was an uplifting message. I also like the uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger, like a good neighbor commercial. Um, do you have any favorite commercials? <laughs> um, I would say the the one I like the most is probably the, the Dunkin' Donuts one with uh, Ben Affleck and Tom Brady, Matt mm. Damon, J-Lo. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, I thought that yeah. was pretty clever. I like that one. KV, did you, KV, did you have a favorite commercial? Yeah, Mikey. Actually, the uh, Christopher Walken one. Did y'all see that? Oh yeah, that was a good one. I think that was, was a good for, one like, too. I think it was for like BMW's new EV. But it's like everywhere he goes, everybody's doing the Christopher Walken voice, and he's just like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Love the execution, the acting, just everything was on par. I loved it. Yeah, I like that one as well. Uh, the commercials are the same the way, other- though, aren't they? Like. Every time the commercials come out every year now, it's, oh, they were so better 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Like, it's the same complaint every year. Not funny enough, not entertaining enough. Like, they're commercials, people. They're commercials. They weren't as good as you remember them being 20 years ago either. Or you always, or, or you see this one as well. Well, they're not as edgy because everybody's worried about being canceled, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, like the Bud Light, like the Bud Light Genie commercial. Ah, Bud Light's being safe now that they got canceled for the other advertising. Right. Well, yeah, but they weren't going to win with a certain audience anyway, no matter what they did, right? I like the Bud Light Genie. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, Bud Light's always but, done a good job yeah. with their commercials, going way back when they were better back in the day. By the way, um, I watched the Super Bowl alone yesterday. I've, I'm now of the shot doctor philosophy. I don't like to have any distractions during the Super Bowl. I don't like chit-chat during the game. I like to watch the game. I like to watch the commercials. I like to watch the national anthem. I want, I, I want the volume up loud so I can hear everything and see everything. What are your thoughts on the shot doctor philosophy of watching the Super Bowl alone? As long as you're not like going to the car wash in Publix daily, then then we're in safe territory still, I think. Um, and you're, <laughs> I love you, shot. If you're listening, um, no, it, I I I think I'm more programmed that way for years with radio stations. I was out at you know Super Bowl parties and such, and you get distracted. You're entertaining the audience and talking with people and. You know, you do miss some things from the game. I always find myself back then having to go back and watch the Super Bowl again to get ready for the show the next day. So I'd watch it in the morning or even after the game was over late into the night to to see if I missed anything. Um, But, yeah, I think I'm more wired like you. I watch the game for the game. So, like, all this extra stuff that you said is extra. Like, okay, cool. If I laugh a few times at commercials and if I'm entertained by halftime, that's awesome. But I'm watching to see who gets crowned champion. See, I'm I'm actually like, 
you know, if I'm at a Super Bowl party, I don't do this, or even when I'm with, with, with friends. But when I'm by myself, I actually take notes. Yeah, me too. The Super Bowl. Me too. Huh? We're one and the same, Mike. We're yeah. professionals. Yeah. Got to come right. ready to go today. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, straight ahead, we're actually going to talk about the Super Bowl. Did Kyle Shanahan make a mistake by taking the ball first? We'll get into that debate. Where does Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid now fit in the pantheon of greatness? We'll get into that. A lot to talk about with the actual game itself. We'll get into that momentarily. But first, if you're a golfer out there, you need to book a tee time right now for Mission Resort and Club. Uh, and, and, and while you do it, take advantage of the Bianchi bonus. All right, They'll give you a free bucket of range balls when you book a tee time and mention my name. If you haven't tried Mission Inn and Resort, I urge you, you got to try it. This will be part of your golf playing rotation. You will not regret it. This place is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, gorgeous. It's just a short drive from Orlando and beautiful Howie in the Hills. There's not one but two championship courses. El Campion, the champion, uh, one of the oldest courses in the Southeast, first opened in 1917. Then there's Los Colinas, which was designed by NBC golf analyst, former Arnold Palmer winner Gary Koch. This isn't just golf. It's an unbelievable golfing experience. It's a resort with Valentine's Day coming up, why not make plans to stay, play, and treat your special someone to a fantastic experience? They have everything you want four exquisite restaurants, a full-service spa, and so much more. And they're golf pros, by the way. Brian Mulry and Nicole Lyman, they offer tailor-made instructions just for you. Remember, book that tee time at Golf Now or call Mission Resort and Club, 352 324 3885. That's 352 324 3885. Don't forget to mention open mic for that free bucket of range balls. Welcome back to The Bridge. Mike Bianchi, Mike Tuck filling in for Mark Daniels. All right, Tuck, let's start with the the positives from the Super Bowl, the game itself, and the, the greatness of Patrick Mahomes and the greatness of Andy Reid and the greatness of Travis Kelsey. First back-to-back Super Bowl winners in 19 years. I guess they now qualify as a dynasty, they've won three of these things now. I don't know exactly what the definition of a dynasty is, but they've made the AFC Championship game for six straight years. They've won three Super Bowls. I guess that qualifies as a dynasty, does it not? It depends on where your standards are. You get to decide that. I yeah. think that's a, it's obviously a good talking point that people had going into the Super Bowl and people have coming out of the Super Bowl. Um, if your threshold's higher, then I don't think it is. I think... You can look at uh, the UCLA Bruins under John Wooden. You can look at the Celtics of the 60s. Yeah. Those are dynasties. Um, those even pale in comparison to actual historic dynasties of emperors conquering lands. Um, but to me, this is um, what a lot of people... I'm a, I'm a big... Go ahead. Ming Dynasty I'm a big guy. Ming, I'm, a big Ming, yeah. I'm a big Ming Dynasty. Yeah, the Ming Dynasty. Ming Dynasty. That was a powerful one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no doubt. Um, (laughs) no, it's obviously a fantastic run. Um, you know, to me, 
do you need to win a championship to be a dynasty is an interesting, you know, twist on it. Like, is if that's not necessary, then you would look at, like, in the NFL, what the Packers did pre-Super Bowl into the start of the Super Bowl era. You'd look at what the 49ers did for the better part of two decades and the Patriots did for the better part of two decades as as dynastic in all their winning. And it looks like Kansas City, you said it, six straight seasons where you're in the AFC Championship game, five of which you advanced to the Super Bowl, or four of which you advanced to the Super Bowl. Like, that's that's pretty special. I, uh, let's not downplay it, I think, fighting over the word dynasty, but it's pretty spectacular. Yeah, and Patrick Mahomes, obviously, even last week before the game was played, there were those like Chris Mad Dog Russo and some others who were already declaring him as the GOAT greater than Brady, even though Brady's won seven Super Bowls. Patrick Mahomes now has three. I mean, when you watch Patrick Mahomes, I mean, when you watched him last night, I mean, he he does some magical things with his arm, with his feet. I mean, he, he was unbelievable on that final drive when he's scrambling for first downs and, and, and making people miss and all of that. But I'm of the opinion that, you know, longevity does matter. Durability does matter. Yes, he's great. There's no question. Is he greater than Brady? I mean, always bring up the Tiger Woods argument. There, You remember this. Mm-hmm. When Tiger Woods was 30 years old, everybody thought, oh, oh hell yes, he's going to break Jack Nicklaus's 18 majors record. But, you know, he goes, he has health issues. He has a scandal in his life. Things happen that, you know, I mean, Brady was still the best in the league when he was 43 years old. So is Patrick Mahomes still going to be the best in 10 or 15 years? I don't know. We'll see. It's a right? big, it's a big ask because nobody's ever played that long until Brady decided to play that long. Right. And he needed right. that long to achieve what he was able to achieve, uh, you know, in, Previous to the last, you know, 15 years or so, a more long NFL career for a quarterback was playing to your mid-30s. So to win four more in the next seven years, that's a, that's an uphill battle. Like, that, let's be real. It's not easy to win Super Bowls. It's been 20 years since someone repeated, so it tells you all you need to know about how difficult this will be moving forward for Kansas City to try to do this again, as great as Patrick Mahomes is. If you want to declare he's the best ever just based on what he is as a player and his talents, then that is an opinion you can have that is completely subjective. But if you're basing it on just resume career, no, it pales in comparison still at this point. And you're projecting, like you said, which is almost impossible to do because you can't predict the future on a lot of these careers because of the injury factor. I will say this. He's a lot more fun to watch than Brady. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he, he does is. it different for sure, right? He he still wins in the ways Brady won, but he he does it differently. Yeah. yeah. And, and just watching the things he does with the football. He, I mean, we, we use the word magician. It is magical. Some of the things he does with the football, with his arm and the angles he throws at, his his legs, what he can do to elude the pass rush, it it's magical. It, uh, that, that's the only word I can think of. No doubt about it. we got to say goodbye to our friends in Tallahassee. We'll be back on the air tomorrow with you guys. Continue listening at 969thegame.com. we got a break for station ID. Love. Okay, let's go to Andy Reid real quick. 
All right, so so Andy Reid, obviously, he's won three Super Bowls now. He's in elite company. I think there's only four other coach or three other coaches, I believe, who've won three or more. So does and I know Mark Daniels hates this topic. <laughs> so since he's one of four coaches with three or more Super Bowls, the others being Bill Walsh, Joe Gibbs, um, Chuck Noll, and obviously Bill, Bill Belichick. Belichick. Yep. Huh? Chuck Noll yeah. and Bill Belichick. So there's four. He's now one of five. So, so one of you five, had it right. It was so he's it was not, four. Right, he's the fifth. So he's the fifth. So he's not quite on the Mount Rushmore. Or is um, he? I mean, you is could, he on the Mount? It, like, <laughs> I always laugh at this too because, uh, like, whoever decided Mount Rushmore was the standard here that we could only have a top four. <laughs> Like, well, I, I, that's what Mount Rushmore. I, I understand. Four. Let's use a different metaphor then. It doesn't have to because it's clearly five, right? Like, I'm you're not and plus needing me to choose between Bill Walsh, Joe Gibbs, and Andy Reid here. That's unnecessary. And plus, Mount Rushmore isn't even the four greatest presidents. No. I, I mean, Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt. I mean, he's he's not a, one of the four greats, is he? I mean, you got Abe Lincoln, George Washington. Well, who's, Washington who's was just the one? first. Does that make him one of the greatest? Well, of course. I mean, he yeah, he was the general who made us a country. He was I, I'm not saying he's not accomplished. Our, it's like picking up our Joe Gibbs. Are you, are like, you discounting? <laughs> are you discounting George Washington's greatness? I'm really? saying he's got the most the questionable of resume country? up there. Yeah, I'm saying that. Yeah. The guy who never told a lie and is the father of our country. Never told You're a lie. Him. That's a lie. Huh? That's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying it's silly so, like to have to pick between Gibbs and Walsh and, and Andy Reid. They're all super accomplished. They all did it um, in in different ways, different styles. I think... Walsh and, and Reed now, I think, are squarely in the conversation and the argument as the greatest offensive coaches this league has ever seen as head coaches. I, I think that's where Andy Reed has put himself in the discussion. And to me, it's not about, you know, play design or, or even play calls. It's his ability uh, throughout the years and even, you know, earlier in his career, he had it as well. But to diagnose at just the right moments the right plays. I mean that's what this that's what last night boiled down to is having the right plays in the right moments executed the right way to score touchdowns to make the first downs like they did more of that last night. You mean night like than Hardman being you mean like Hardman being wide open on the on the game winner? That's I mean, right. Wide uh, open. Corn dog. That's the same exact play they ran last year for Kadarius Tony's touchdown. Same exact play and they called it just at the right moment, just at the right time. Got just the right look. San Francisco made a ill-fated switch uh, without making the right switch and left Hardman wide open in the end zone because, of course, Kelsey's going to draw more of your attention. It's a great play design. It is proven. It worked last year, obviously, on the biggest stage, and Philadelphia was caught uh, in a twist and turn on that one, and last night it worked again in the biggest spot. I give Andy Reid extra credit, sort of like I give Brady extra credit. I think if you – and Andy Reid never won a Super Bowl with the Eagles, but he was still one of the best coaches in the league with the Eagles, took him to a Super Bowl, never won it. But I think he, you know Brady won a Super Bowl with the Bucks, who were, which were a, a miserable franchise before he got there. I think you get extra credit if you take more than one franchise to a Super Bowl. Uh, I mean, I, I I don't think um, 
you necessarily get extra credit because not everyone has to do that. It's like saying if you lead multiple teams to a championship, you're better. But what if it happens if you stay in your in the same spot your whole career? That shouldn't be a negative against you. Um, but it, what it does show is Andy Reid's ability to lead different people, um, different clubs with different styles, different quarterbacks, different everything, right? D- different defensive models. Like he was successful even without the Super Bowl rings and. Philadelphia, three straight NFC Championship games, and then they finally broke through, and then they lost that heartbreaker to New England. Like, Andy Reid was already a Hall of Fame coach before he ever won his first Super Bowl, and now that he has Patrick Mahomes and, I would add to it, an elite defense this year, he's added his third. So you think Andy Reid was a Hall of Famer just with the Eagles? Yeah, I think he was already on his way. I think even to the point before, even when winning, he was winning. He was winning. They were winning with Alex Smith in Kansas City. Like, he took another franchise and made them successful. So, I don't know if it's extra points, but it definitely shows his coaching acumen that he won in different spots. All right. The decision that Kyle Shanahan made to take the ball first in overtime, I I think this is being underplayed. I I think that's one one of the more boneheaded decisions you could make in an overtime when, you know, I always go to college football, all right? In in college football, when both teams get the ball, if you get the choice, you always take the ball second because you want to see what the other team did. Now, it's a different sort of overtime, but still, why wouldn't you see what Kansas City did on offense, so you know what you have to do. I just think it's a no-brainer. All right, there there are two parts or two opinions I have on this. Here's the first part of it, addressing okay. exactly what you just said. This is from the Ringer. The Chiefs' overtime plan worked out exactly how they had hoped, and it wasn't by accident. Kansas City Chiefs safety Justin Reed told the Ringer that the Chiefs had first discussed the new, new overtime rules as far back as training camp. Defensive lineman Chris Jones said the players were prepared for what to expect if the Super Bowl went to overtime? Jones said, we walked through this for two weeks. How it was gonna, We were going to give the ball to the opponent. If they scored, we were going to go for two at the end of the game. We rehearsed it. All right. Now compare that to the 49ers. <laughs> Multiple San Francisco players said after the game they were not aware that the overtime rules are different in the playoffs as they are in the regular right. season. Strategy okay. discussed how to handle the overtime period did not occur. No strategy discussions on it. Eric Armstead, defensive lineman, said he learned the details of the postseason rule when it was shown on the Jumbotron during a TV timeout after regulation. Kyle Jusek said he assumed the 49ers asked to receive when they won the toss because that's what you do in the regular season when a touchdown wins the game. I guess that's not the case, Jusek said. I don't really know the strategy. So That's inexcusable. Clearly, they did not have a good handle on it. That's inexcusable. Now that's, that's inexcusable. You're, you're right. Sorry. You're right. It, they've known for a long time. They should have known. That's a big error in calculation. Now, does it mean they win the game? No. But but absolutely everything you say, I agree a hundred percent with. It's just like college. You want the ball second. You want to know what you need to do. You want to have the ability to go for it on all four downs to get into field right. goal range or score a touchdown, whatever it is. That's undebatable. I agree 100%. But here's the other side of it. Kyle Shanahan. Go ahead. Go ahead. Hey, V, if you, can, if you can find the Kyle Shanahan clip when he's asked about it, I mean, he, 
he clearly didn't know what the hell he was talking about. He talked about, like, analytics. He didn't have an answer as to why he chose to take the ball first. He had no answer for it except he, he just threw out the generic term analytics out there but gave no proof as to what percentage of the – he had no answer. Do we have the clip? I guess we don't. I don't. Are you playing it? No. Uh, he doesn't have it right now. Um, okay. Yeah, so there's no there's no doubt that that was a mistake. And no matter what analytics show, right, I think we can, we can agree, Mike, right? No matter what analytics show, the percentages are, I don't care if it's 52-48 or whatever it is, it, that doesn't make any sense because no one in college football does it that way, and you, you should want to have the ball second with these being the rules. Now, here's what I don't like, and I didn't like it when the NFL made the changes. I don't like having a completely different set of rules for the playoffs than we do in the regular season. If we're going to go this yeah. direction with it, if we are truly going to go this direction with it, which people have wanted to do for ages, right? Every time there's an overtime loss in the playoffs, as far back as I can remember, Mike, people complained about it when the other team didn't get to touch the ball. Always, right? Mahomes, when he didn't go to the Super Bowl that first year, he didn't get to touch the ball. Brady took the ball down the field, and New England won the AFC Championship game. But I I don't like changing it from regular season to postseason. I, I think... It is. Um, I don't think it's the well, right. In the regular thing to do. season, though, you can have ties. So right. I know, but you, you could still like have it where you could play. Every team needs to either team both teams need to touch the balls. What I'm trying to say, and still have a tie. Okay. Like like last night, you know, if, if Kansas City was forced to kick a field goal, I mean, they both had long drives. We would have had a tie. That's fine. I'm fine with that, but make it a universal whoa, 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 rule. Whoa. I don't like having two you're different not, you're rules. You're not fine with last night ending in a tie. No, no, no. I'm not saying then they would have just gone to another overtime. Okay. As okay. it was. Yeah. yeah. Yes. But that's, uh, well, even yeah, the way, even no the way they yeah. played it, it's not even another overtime. They're just playing quarters, which is a weird thing. I think a lot of people were confused by that last night as well. It's like Kansas City's going to run out of time in overtime when it was just the end of the first quarter of overtime. And... Well, the reason the NFL does that during the regular seasons, it's the whole safety issue, and they're you know they they make a big deal about safety. They don't want the games dragging on too long because, you know, because of you know they're trying to be cognizant of the safety issues in the NFL. I, again, I don't care, I don't care if they do it during the regular season. I don't care if they do it differently in the playoffs. You know what the playoff rules are. Uh, adjust accordingly and do the right thing. Do the smart thing. And San Francisco didn't do it. That's the bottom line, is it not? It is. And I think Kyle Shanahan coached a great game last night. But that was one which, um, I don't know. I would have trouble sleeping if I didn't know that because I would have made a different decision. That's what would bother me if I were him, is knowing that I would have made a different decision in that spot. Whether he wants to admit it publicly, I sort of get. He's probably embarrassed by it if, if he didn't know that was the case. Knew? I, Do you think he knew the rule? I feel like no. I, I really I feel like it probably is no because I don't know why a coach wanted well, that, Have you ever seen a college coach well, that, say, yeah, we're going to take the ball first in overtime? No, although don't they announce that on the field the rules? Like they did. They the... made the announcement. It's not like it was confusing. Maybe you're just not paying attention to it if you're him. 
Or Fred Werner, for that matter. He's the captain out there that made the... De- well, I don't know if he made the decision, but he's the one that made the... Hey, we're going to receive the ball. So you're telling me, according, according to the ringer, the Chiefs have been preparing yes. for this scenario for months. Yes. And the 49ers didn't even know it was a rule. At least several 49ers. I don't know that everyone on the 49ers didn't. Not, and I don't know that everyone needs to know for what it's worth, but the one person that does need to know is the head coach. Yeah, and the guy making the call out on the field. Yes. Yeah, oh, uh, obviously, wow. yes. <laughs> that needs to be relayed to him as well. All right, straight ahead, we have one other Super Bowl topic I want to talk about. Also, a college football story I wanted to get to with Mike Tuck as well. All that coming your way on the bridge. Mike Tuck deservedly getting ripped on the text line for uh, denigrating George Washington's status for being on Mount Rushmore. Yeah. George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, and then Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt. Why he's on Mount Rushmore. That, that would be like having a Mount Rushmore of NFL coaches and having like um, Bill Belichick, Don Shula, Chuck Knoll, and like, I don't know, George Seifert or something. Like, George Seifert would not belong, even though he's won one or two Super Bowls. Wow. He's won two, but... Yeah. Yeah, but you wouldn't put George... He was. He just got Bill Walsh's leftovers, right? <laughs> he did. He won with them, though. It's not easy to do. That would be like putting... That would be like putting um, Barry Switzer. He got Jimmy Johnson's leftovers. Well, more right? so, maybe more so that, but he still won with them. In fairness, uh, Seifert won the next year, and then a couple of years later he won again, so okay. it was a little bit more his team yeah, at that yeah. point. At one point, yeah. he had the highest winning percentage in NFL history as a coach. Where did George Seifert go after he got fired Carolina. by the 49 Is he the one who took them? Did he take them to him? No, that was John Fox. Yeah, was you were going to rethink that whole Seifert thing, weren't you? No, Actually, just, I think he took them to the... In their second year of existence, when the Jaguars made the AFC title game, I think the the Panthers made the NFC title game. I think George Seifert might have been the coach then. You might be right about that part. Yeah. Got to think about that. I don't know. Anyway, uh, what other Super Bowl? uh, There was one other Super Bowl topic I wanted to get to with you. Uh, Can't remember what it is. I'll get to this college football story real quick. So, Billy Napier, obviously, on the hot seat. We know that at Florida. So, Billy Napier, last year, a major issue with the Gators was their strength and conditioning program. And Billy Napier had hired one of his buddies to be the strength and conditioning coach, a guy he brought with him from Louisiana. Well, after this season, Billy Napier sort of demoted the guy he brought with him from Louisiana, demoted him, and he hired uh, a guy who was in the pros with the New York Giants, a guy named um, Craig Fitzgerald. So this was like four or five weeks ago. He hires Craig Fitzgerald, demotes the old guy. And so Craig Fitzgerald's Billy Napier's strength and conditioning coach, and he's well thought of, and everybody's fired up about Fitzgerald being the new strength and conditioning coach. Well, 
yesterday it was announced that Craig Fitzgerald's leaving. He's leaving Florida to take the strength and conditioning job at Boston College, where Bill O'Brien is the new head coach. And I guess he has a he's worked for Bill O'Brien in the past with the Houston Texans and with um, Penn State. My my question is, how bad does this make the Gator job look when you have a strength and conditioning coach leaving after five weeks to go to Boston College? Uh, it's probably not great, um, but but it is a strength and conditioning coach. I don't want to downplay that, but it's not we're talking offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. Uh, and you've said it; he does have a pre-existing relationship with Billy uh, Billy O there. So I. I'm I'm not I don't think losing sleep over it if I'm a Gator fan it's not necessarily a great look but I don't think it's uh I think you're underestimating the importance <laughs> I am especially this time of year okay. of strength and conditioning coaches I mean this, that that this is the time of year where you need I mean this is where the strength and conditioning coach is actually important at this time of year because this is the off season this is when you prepare to be as good as you can be during the regular season. And by all accounts, their strength and conditioning program was subpar going you know, under the old guy. And now what are they going to do? Bring the old guy back? He's still on the staff. They're going to bring the old guy no, back who could, they just demoted? No, you can go to it. You hire someone else. Like It's one of those things like it's like trainers, right, Mike? Like everyone across, mm-hmm. whether it's college sports or professionals, the trainers are great until we see there's like a problem where like guys are constantly getting hurt. And then we go, what's going on with the trainers there? Right. I kind of feel mm-hmm. the same way about strength and conditioning. Like they're all great. They all know what they're doing. It lift, 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 get stronger, get faster, get more flexible. It's not like it's all that complicated. And I'm not trying to downplay the job, but let's not pretend we Thank debate. We know, well, let's not pretend we spend all offseason debating the movement of strength and conditioning coaches. Like you're, you're building it up a little George bit. George Washington, first George Washington, and now you're trying to sell me on the strength the, and conditioning coach. Well, you know what? I don't know if Saban deserves blanket, all that credit. It probably was Alabama's strength and conditioning indictment. coach. Just the blanket indictment of the importance of strength and conditioning coaches? Yeah, this is from the guy who says that uh, running backs are dime a dozen, as if Christian McCaffrey is a dime. Okay. Well, <laughs> stop it. Stop backs. it. You want to build up strength and conditioning coaches, but downplay Christian McCaffrey. I never downplay, <laughs> I never downplay Christian McCaffrey. All right. right. Well, stop. I just said most running backs. Uh-huh. Are well, I'm telling you, most strength and conditioning coaches we don't talk about. <laughs> like, okay. we know the guy at I Miami because a... he's got that big, curly, you know, uh, Raleigh Fingers mustache going on. And right. most of them are yoked on the sideline, right? Like, yep, that's the strength and conditioning coach, the guy that looks like he's thin and weighs 300 pounds. The guy who's headbutting players without right, a helmet. Right, right, right. That's when right. they. Get, that's when we know who they are. That's when they're in the news. They're bleeding from their forehead, busted themselves open. They're so jacked up. I just think this is another. Again, Billy Napier needs something good to happen. This is just another blow to Billy Napier's sort of beleaguered program at the University of Florida. Yeah, well, you know, when when Miami beats them in Gainesville to open up the season, we'll be talking about the strength and conditioning coach. I know that. It'll be the first thing we talk about. 
Miami out physicals them. Yeah, you know okay, that's going to go. be you, a major You got your topic. headline already. Miami out physicals right. Gators. <laughs> All right, what, what do you what do you got planned? What's on the, the guy's name, by the way? What's the What's the guy's name? Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald. Okay, that's his last name. Yeah, I mean, he was obviously I'm very not. famous before this news. <laughs> Their Gators were fired up about that. I, I, well, you know, sometimes you gotta when you're fired up about who you're hiring is your strength and conditioning coach. It tells you where your program's at. All right, give me the one Mike Tuck. Topic. You always mm. have a unique topic, maybe or okay. uh, angle. What's the one thing you're gonna? Uh, one unique Mike Tuck Tuck topic on the beat of sports. All right. So we talked about uh, Kyle Shanahan, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, the discussion today, if not today, certainly tomorrow, uh, it, people will catch up with the idea of the overtime, and then we'll debate the overtime and and discuss it from that angle. I think a lot of people were upset with Shanahan before that because of the way the mm-hmm. 49ers started off the second half. Would you agree? Yes. Right? Like, why aren't they running the yes. ball? You know, Kansas City yes. was run blitzing the hell out of them every one of those plays and even said after the game, we wanted Brock Purdy to throw the ball. We thought we could cover their receivers. We did not want them running the ball. They made a, a decision at halftime to just continue to run blitz and force Purdy to throw. Okay, so... That, I'm just mentioning that. So the idea coming out of this game is Shanahan is a loser, right? That People will have that take. The guy's a loser, can't win with him, right? And it's just an idiotic take. Well, he was the, he was the offensive coordinator for the Falcons. I'm aware they, of that. They, I'm aware of that. So, so that's the presentation, right? He's the guy who has lost the largest Super Bowl lead as the offensive coordinator, right? What was that score? Mm-hmm. Everyone's shouting 28-3. I know what the score is. It was rhetorical. All right, largest yeah. ha- largest lead ever in the Super Bowl lost. He has the second largest lead ever lost, ten points against Mahomes when he was, uh, you know, twenty what four years ago. Right, they were up twenty mm-hmm. to ten in the fourth yep. quarter in that game. They were up ten nothing in this game, which is like saying Denver was up ten nothing on Washington in the Doug Williams Super Bowl and lost forty two ten. But that's the second largest <laughs> lead, right? It was that that is the second yeah. largest lead lost in the Super Bowl. So he has got the record. And he's got the two records below that. That's one th- way to present Shanahan being a clown, can't coach, doesn't know how to stick to his game plan or run the football, et cetera, et cetera. Here's the other presentation of it. Guy's been to three mm. Super Bowls, one as the offensive coordinator, two as the head coach. He has lost to the two greatest quarterbacks of all time, Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes twice. He lost in mm. overtime to Brady. He lost in overtime to Mahomes and on a last-minute touchdown drive to Mahomes. So he's that close to winning three Super Bowls. He's had his team in position to win three Super Bowls, and just something has not worked out. And in the Atlanta game, we can point to a dozen plays that didn't go their way, that if any one of them does, they win the game. In the game against uh, uh, San Francisco and Kansas City four years ago, they had uh, the one play I think everyone remembers is Emmanuel Sanders down the middle of the field, and Garoppolo overshoots right. him. Right, that gives them the lead if he hits him for a touchdown late in that one. And then of course Brock yesterday Purdy had a touchdown last night. Yeah, well he had then, a touchdown last night on his final on 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 the, uh, and the he, Niners final. And you position. see when he was on the ground, he goes, oh, Juwan had him. 
Like, he knew Juwan Jennings was open, but Chris Jones made maybe the play of the game in preventing him from completing that pass because that gives the 49ers a touchdown in their opening drive of So I'm just saying, presentation matters. And if we want to present Kyle Shanahan as an idiot that doesn't know what he's doing, we can do that. But there is another side to this coin where he was that close to winning three Super Bowls and had his team in position. It even called some great plays in many cases to get them in position, but they just weren't executed or the other team made the play. And plus, the Niners sort of blew the game. I mean, the, the missed extra point was huge, all right, where they where Moody just kicks it into the line. line with a slow kick. And then the, 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 the blunder on the punt return that bounced off the player's leg and the Chiefs recovered. Without those blunders, San Francisco probably wins the game. Yeah, I mean, Kansas City had mistakes as well. You know, each team had a couple of turnovers. Sometimes we have a a bad habit of only looking at the losing team's mistakes while ignoring that the winning team had mistakes as well. Uh, But I I would agree that the the gift was the unfortunate, unlucky, and bad play of the punt bouncing off the guy's leg that gives Kansas City, you know, the ball inside the red zone. They scored the next play, right, the MVS on the touchdown pass. Mm -hmm. Like, that changed everything right because at that point oh that the the Chiefs weren't moving the ball the Chiefs weren't moving the ball and so yeah that that turned everything on a dime and that's hardly the head coach's fault right no no. okay so So. again I'm not saying Kyle Shanahan isn't without warts and made and uh, you know we can acknowledge he made mistakes we can acknowledge Andy Travis Kelsey thought Andy Reid made a mistake last night right so you know, right. I, I do think presentation matters, and for anyone that wants to scream about Kyle Shanahan not knowing what he's doing, um, yeah, I invite you to maybe pick up pickleball this off season or something. By the way, how did we go the entire bridge without mentioning Tay Tay? We didn't mention. <laughs> there you go. Tay-Tay. You just did. You got it in. <laughs> there we go. Was she at the game All last right, night? I didn't see her. I don't know. Was she? <laughs> yeah. She must have been camouflaged because they never flashed up to the suite. Peace, love, boil peanuts. Have a great show, Mike Tuck. Thank you, Mike. I uh, got the beat of sports coming up next in for Mark Daniels. We got a lot more Super Bowl talk on the way.